0: Good morning. It's lovely to be able to say that and actually hear a bit of a good morning coming back as well after all this time. Uh, Absolutely tremendous. Um, I spent uh, a day this week, on Thursday in fact, uh, at an online conference um, with uh, other members of the staff team here from St. Luke's. It was called Multiply. There were Christians from all over the country attending it online. Uh, And it was all about planting churches. And for me it was partly sobering and partly inspiring. If I'm honest, it was sobering because there were quite a few reminders of just how secular our our country is these days, of how many people um, just don't have a chance to hear the gospel for themselves. Uh, Reminders, if we needed them, that, that young people have been leaving our churches in droves over several decades now, really, and that this has accelerated during COVID times. Um, But at the same time, it was also inspiring um, to hear stories of different places where God is at work, where people are being reached through all kinds of different approaches, Um, some of them pioneering, some of them planting new congregations, Uh, some of them quite large scale, and some of them quite small and grassroots. And the reminder that, in fact, every church, including this one, was planted at some point. Um, So I'm really excited as well that we're returning to the book of Acts at this particular time um, as we go through this process of regathering ourselves. It feels like exactly uh, the sort of book that we need to be in. It connects very closely with where the church is at nationwide and uh, more particularly with where we are here at St. Luke's. Uh, The big question that the book of Acts focuses on is how does the church grow? How does that happen? What is it that causes this transformation from a handful of quite scared people at the beginning of the book through to thousands of Christians in hundreds of churches all confidently talking about Jesus by the end of it? And the answer to the question in a nutshell comes in chapter 1 verse 8. And you may remember if you were here a couple of years ago when we looked at the first part of Acts what a key verse that is. Um, It's a very famous verse. Jesus says to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem uh, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so the answer to the question, how does the church grow, in a nutshell, is that Acts is the story of the work of the Holy Spirit through his people, the church, who are witnesses taking the good news about Jesus from Jerusalem And as Lizzie showed us, in ripples going outwards towards the ends of the earth. Now, Acts doesn't tell us the whole story. Luke, who wrote it, is quite selective. He doesn't tell us at all about what happened as the gospel went east, you know, towards places like Persia and India, which it was doing. He says very little about what happened as it went south through Egypt and into Africa. Just little hints of what was happening there. His focus is on how the church spread from Jerusalem through various places, towards Rome, which in one sense is quite important and symbolic. It was the capital of the empire. It really was the ends of the earth. And we we will see that the strategy that is used again and again by uh, the leaders of the church is to go to new cities, new places, and plant new congregations. Um, They are strategic about what they do, and yet we see that it's the Holy Spirit who is in charge every step of the way. Um, So Acts is perfect for us right now as we move out of this pandemic, as we hope that things continue to become more normal and we can gather together, because it speaks to us about why we should still be committed to God's project of of sending witnesses to the ends of the earth. It's always God's project for his church in the power of the Spirit. So, Uh, Let's hear our reading now um, from the end of uh, chapter 12 and the beginning of chapter 13, which Chris is going to come and give to us, and then we'll dive into it.
1: Our reading is Acts chapter 12, verse 25, to chapter 13, verse 12. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem taking with them John, also called Mark. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They travelled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar Jesus. Who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul, because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimas and said, You are a child of the devil. And an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed. For he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord.
0: We'll do keep that passage open in front of you. If you can, that would be great. Um, I was watching one of the matches at the Euros earlier on this week. I imagine some of us have been following that, either closely or a little bit more distantly. And there was a, a particular point in the second half at some point where the camera cut to the manager. Uh, who was uh, gesticulating um, quite vigorously uh, in his technical area, and the commentator said something like this. He's done his bit now. Uh, there's little more he can do to influence the outcome tonight. And I guess that's true to a large extent, isn't it, when you're a, you're a football manager? One of the uh, causes of great stress, which we often see written all over their faces, probably comes from the fact that you know once they've picked the team, once they've said what they've said at half-time, once they've made their substitutions, They're pretty impotent. They've just got to watch and wait and see what happens. Uh, Some people think God is a bit like that too. You know, Maybe he exists, maybe he is watching over us, but he's not actually involved, not in any real sense that makes a difference at least. And sometimes I think as Christians there's a danger that we can live our lives as if God is like that, even if we wouldn't actually say that's what we believed about him. But the book of Acts is a reminder, again and again in fact, that God is not like some kind of heavenly football manager, pacing his technical area, you know, fuming at the referee, shaking his fists, but not able to do anything about what is happening. Uh, in fact, in the opening verses of chapter one, Luke tells us that in his first book, that's Luke's gospel, uh, he wrote all about what Jesus began to do and teach. Now the implication left hanging there is that now in this second book that he's written, the book of Acts, he's going to write about all that Jesus continued to do and to teach. Which is why Acts begins with Jesus leaving the disciples physically as he ascends to heaven, but promising to return to be with them by his Holy Spirit, who will continue his work in them and through them. So Jesus is not like some kind of football manager, standing on the sidelines, watching what's going on, wishing he could do something, but knowing that he's already done his bit and he's just got to watch now. He is there, he's here, in the closest of relationships with his people, uh, animating and guiding every one of his players every step of the way. And so our verses, the beginning of chapter 13 here, uh, we see this in practice, I think, in several different ways. Uh, The first thing we see is God gathering the team together. And there is no more eclectic team of people uh, than this group of apostles put together here in Antioch at the beginning of chapter 13. And the fact that there is a church in Antioch at all is the result of the fact that there's been persecution after Stephen was killed and and, uh, The Christians in Jerusalem were scattered across a much wider area. And uh, you can glance back to the middle of chapter 11, particularly verses 19 to 26. And you can see that. And you can see how Barnabas was sent from the church in Jerusalem to encourage these new disciples in Antioch, uh, further up the coast in what what we call Syria. Uh, And how he went and fetched Saul to help him. And then at the end of chapter 11, how these two are sent back to Jerusalem with a gift to help the Christians there. And then there's a bit of an interlude in chapter 12, um, back in Jerusalem again. And then we return to Antioch. Uh, And Barnabas and Saul return in chapter 12, verse 24, and they bring with them John Mark. So here's the gathered team. Chapter 13, verse 1. Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas, uh, who's trusted by the leaders in Jerusalem, As 11 verse 24 says, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Um, Saul, this man who, of course, is very well known. A few years ago, he was persecuting Christians and throwing them into prison and doing all kinds of things. But he's been brought to his knees by a meeting with Jesus himself. They've got young John Mark, who is with them. And then there's Simon, called Niger. Niger and Lucius of Cyrene. We don't know much about these two, but their names suggest that they're both African Christians. Cyrene is in uh, what we would call Libya. And then Manaean, who was brought up, we're told here, with Herod the Tetrarch, which is amazing when you think about it. Um, It's hard to be clear exactly what the phrase brought up with means there, but in some way he was part of the same household, maybe even part of the family. Part of the family of the man who had John the Baptist's head chopped off and who would um, quiz Jesus shortly before he was crucified. Now, Menaean has come to faith. It's a strange gathering, isn't it, of, of these people? You could hardly ask for a clearer demonstration of the message of Acts, that the good news of Jesus can rescue and can gather anyone from anywhere. Jews, Gentiles, all one in Christ, people of different races, different backgrounds. Even this guy who was killing Christians just a relatively short time ago. All gathered by God because that is what he does. Uniting people who would not otherwise be united. That's the work of the Holy Spirit first of all. Uh, God gathers the team. Secondly he then sends out the team as witnesses to Jesus. Uh, Maybe you are waiting to see who Gareth Southgate will send out on Tuesday night uh, at the moment. Uh, Will Saka and Grealish keep their places after the last match? Will Foden and Mount come back in? What about Sancho? What about Rashford? But as I said before, whoever Gareth Southgate picks, he can't go onto the pitch with them. That may be a good thing after the last time he did that against Germany in the Euros, but that's another story. But that is not the case here. Um, The believers in verses 2 and 3 are worshipping together, they're praying, and a decision is reached. And it's God's decision, look. Verse 2, while they were worshipping and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. But it's also the church's decision. Look at verse 3, after they had prayed and fasted, they placed their hands on them and sent them out both. And there's no contradiction here. And this is another thing we see again and again in Acts. Everything is done by God. He is the one who is guiding things. Everything is done by his church, the gathering of his people, as they worship and pray to God. The Holy Spirit is at work in them. The decisions are guided and led by him. They're made in the context of worship and fasting and prayer. That is the way for a church to make sure it's attentive to what God is saying and hearing what he wants them to do. It's why the time we give to prayer is one of the clearest indications of whether we're on the right track. God is clearly overseeing everything that happens, but there's also careful human planning that we see in this passage, isn't there? You know, they start by going to Cyprus. Why is that? Well, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? It's where Barnabas comes from. It's his home. It's a fairly obvious place to go geographically and because of that. Uh, Then later in chapter 13, after the bit that we read today, they head off just up the coast from where Paul is originally from, not far from Tarsus. Uh, They bring John Mark with them, verse 5. That's good strategy, isn't it? Bringing someone young and inexperienced who can help and who can learn from those who know what they're doing. So there's real planning going on here. They're not just randomly heading off in all kinds of directions, and yet at the same time, It's all in the guidance and oversight of the Holy Spirit. Those two things are working together. And how are they sent out? What are they sent out for? To be witnesses. Because that is the job of the church. Right through Acts and right up to today as well. So the team is gathered. The team is sent out. And then the other thing which we see here is that God's word is declared as they go. These apostles, they're sent out in the power of the Spirit and they proclaim the word of God. And we see this when they're making disciples and we also see it when they're being opposed uh, by these people on Cyprus. Um, They sail to the island. When they get there, they proclaim the word of God. That's what verse 5 says. Um, They travel through the island and they meet this sorcerer, this false prophet, um, this guy who's called Bar-Jesus. But he's clearly got nothing at all to do with Jesus, does he? Um, He's trying to turn people, including the proconsul, kind of the senior official there, against the apostles and their message. Um, but look at verse 9. Saul, full of the Holy Spirit, who's at work again, looks straight at Elimas, which is his other name, the sorcerer, and says to him, you're of the devil. You're an enemy of what is right. You're full of deceit. You're perverting the ways of the Lord. Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You'll be blind for a time, not even able to see the sun. That is also the witness of God speaking the word of God. And sure enough, a fog descends and Elymas cannot see. And in verse 12, the proconsul hears and sees what has happened. And he believed because he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. It's all the teaching of the Lord. It's God's word. It's being proclaimed. It's dealing with opposition. And it's bringing people to faith just one little snippet there on Cyprus of what the Holy Spirit is up to. We're going to see much more of that as his witnesses travel around in the weeks to come. But I just want to ask, uh, before I close this morning, what does all this mean for us then? As a church here in 2021, uh, nearly 2,000 years after all these things happened. And as I said at the beginning, I think this is really timely for us, that there are some great lessons for us to learn today. Um, first of all, simply that God is all about gathering people. Um, the word church from the Greek word ekklesia literally means assembly. I mean, you, you've all seen Avengers Assemble, I imagine, uh, when we bring together not just Iron Man and Thor, but Hulk and, and all the rest of them into one movie. Well, this is Apostles Assemble, if you want to call it that. Uh, it's God calling all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds to come together, not just to believe the right things as individuals, but to be a people, a gathering, a community. Right now, gathering is so important for us, isn't it? After this last year that we've had, um, this strange time of being shut away in our own homes to at least some extent for all this time. Um, some of us have been able to meet at 6 p.m. here in church for the last few months. But even then, and even now, it's great to be here together, but we're still slightly separated. We're still having to follow careful protocols, aren't we? We're still missing those of you who are not with us in the building, and we know uh, that some of you aren't able to be here yet. I'd love to encourage those of you who can to come and give it a try on one of these Sundays in the coming weeks. Uh, Gathering is part of what we're all about at the moment. That whole process of being drawn back together after a time apart. But then the second thing that we've been reminded of here in Acts 13 is that God gathers his people to send them out again. And so as we gather, we're not just like any other club that meets in the village. We're not like you know, the tennis club or the football club or the WI or whatever it is that you belong to where gathering is the purpose. You know, it's, it's good to be together. Those things are all great. But we need to remember that as a church, as we are gathered together, it is always with the purpose that God sends us on mission, just like he did these people in Acts 13. And so this is a great time, even as we begin to come back together again over these summer months, to be reminded of what God is calling us to as a church family. You know, we've talked about the call to plant a new congregation in Thermiston. Uh, And Steve Sweet is moving to Thermiston this week. He's going to be licensed as our curate on Thursday night on Zoom. We're still slightly in that time. Um, The call to complete the hub project so that through it, uh, we will have opportunities to share the love of Christ in different ways in this community where we are. You know, The opportunity to, to support a new worshipping community in Netherhall through the pioneering work that Matthew is leading. Um, the commitment to mission among our friends and our neighbours, whether it's through vitality or fun at four or whatever it is that we're doing as a church. We're gathered to be sent out as witnesses. So let's be praying about how God would use us in those things. And in all of those things, let's remember, he's in charge. God is in charge. He is not Gareth Southgate. Uh, The Holy Spirit is with us. And as we make plans, as we must do, most of all, we need to be seeking to discern his ways. We need to be worshipping him and praying to him. Even fasting is suggested here, isn't it? Alien, though that might be to many of us in the church today. And in all that we do, like these apostles, we need to be faithful to the word of God. Um, Sometimes what it says might provoke opposition, sometimes from inside as well as from outside the church. Other times it will provoke responses of faith as all kinds of people from all kinds of places are called to know Jesus. Just like that proconsul there at the end of our chapter who is amazed by the teaching of the Lord. And so let's pray. That God would call us and guide us, even as he gathers us and sends us to be witnesses here in this place. Amen.